Welcome to Round Hill Radio, the podcast from Round Hill Community Church. On today's episode, Ed starts us on a journey with St. Paul. This is the beginning of a multi-part series that coincides with the current sermon series and Bible study. Enjoy! Welcome to Round Hill Radio. Thank you. How We're are back. you today, Ed? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? I'm do. I've got a big cup of tea here. You do. So I will be better after it. For it. <laughs> for I will be better for it. Exactly. That's that's a much better way of putting it. So Ed, we've been talking about Paul a lot in worship. We have. Why? For months, it for- feels like. <laughs> Because it has been months. It's been months, but it's been really interesting because I didn't really know much about Paul to begin with. You know, he was fairly new to me instead of, you know, I mean, when I think of Paul, I think my first thought is like the Cathedral of St. Paul in London. Like that's my first connection to it. So Paul the man, I'm a little bit like, you know, I don't really know what's going on. Who was he? Who was this guy? What was he about? It's interesting that we have these magnificent cathedrals named after him. I wonder what he would have thought of that since mm-hmm. he uh, made his ra- way around the Mediterranean world just living in these little tiny homes, but starting these churches that were certainly not grand and magnificent. Mm-hmm. So why Paul? That's a great, great question. Um, you know, I had a, a friend many, many years ago who was a colleague in the ministry, and he was a really great influence on me. And I asked him once, how do you uh, stay fresh? Right? How do you how do you keep your awareness of what you're doing? How do you enjoy it? And he said, I try to be aware of my blind spots Ooh. and then work away at them. Isn't that a great, like good that. answer? Right. So he said, uh, he described to me a couple of the blind spots that he thought he had developed in ministry and then how he went about trying to explore those areas. Right. So they become sources of more knowledge, deeper relationship with God, um, a way of connecting with people and inviting them into that journey. So um, basically, I guess I would like to say that I was inspired by my own ignorance. How's that a great way for starting off on a whole new thing? No, keep it honest. And um, St. Paul, uh, aside from Jesus, is probably the one character who figures most in the development of early Christianity. Mm -hmm. And yet, uh, unlike Jesus, we have a completely different set of information from him. He's not the storyteller. There's not a connection with parables. You know, we don't get the humanity quite as much uh, in the way that we do with Jesus, although there is certainly a human quality that comes through him. So my feeling was, I don't know much about this person, and I'm willing to bet that maybe some others don't know a whole lot about him either. So because we have this practice here at Round Hill Community Church of, of taking a theme and working through it for maybe six weeks, eight weeks, or several months. That's what we decided to do. And it was really exciting when you and I and Dan Haug, our associate pastor, started to think about this. So I will say that it was, uh, on my part, it was my own lack of knowledge, but also a desire to be you know, pushed out of the comfort zone. I think that's an important element of spiritual life that goes under-recognized. I think sometimes I get the feeling that we might turn towards religious practices or disciplines because we don't want to move out of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd like to think it's exactly the opposite. So I guess one other thing, you know, I I have this song that I downloaded and it's called Paul and Peter Walked. 
And I think it's by a group called Salamander Crossing, which is a really fantastic name for a group. That's a great name. Great name. And uh, it's this really lighthearted song about Paul and Peter walking and distributing the good news of the gospel all across the Mediterranean world. And I've heard, although I can't exactly testify to the complete accuracy of this, that Paul might have walked as many as 10,000 miles in his lifetime to communicate his understanding of Jesus to the world and starting all of these little churches. And so for all those reasons, that's what got us started. Wow. My brain can't even comprehend that kind of a distance. <laughs> there is that, that famous story of when Bach walked to visit Books to Huda. I think it was something like a couple hundred miles. And right. I have a feeling there was probably a horse involved somewhere. I hope so. Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah. Those organist feet are not usually very tough. <laughs> You've got to protect them. They're valuable assets, right? On some people. <laughs> Definitely on Buck. Definitely on Buck. So when you were thinking about starting on this journey for yourself, as mm-hmm. well as leading us along it, uh, where did you start in your studies and, and in your own preparation? Well, I think it's a great uh, starting place to go back to the sources. And uh, there are 27 books in the New Testament. Most of them are letters, but uh, scholars are pretty certain that only seven of those belong to Paul, and the others were written by other people and who used his name to gain authority for their letters. Mm -hmm. And the tricky part about that is that sometimes they don't use the language that he used, and sometimes they don't use the ideas that he developed. So you start getting a different Paul, and I'll say something about that a little later. Um, But I started reading those letters, and uh, I have a few thoughts about this. First of all, even though these letters have been produced in Bibles and sacred scriptures for 2,000 years, you're still reading somebody else's mail. Hmm. (laughs) And I hadn't really thought about that until this go-round. It reminded me of a time when I was in college, and my roommate had received a letter from home, and he was rather upset about it. And he left it out and open. And it was this mighty temptation to take a peek, which I resisted. But, um, you know, there's this thought when you're reading somebody else's mail, it's not for you. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you're kind of, um, I don't know, looking in on a conversation that doesn't really belong to you in a way. And yet, I I suspect that when Paul wrote these letters, I mean, obviously, he wanted them to be shared by people. They were meant to be read by gatherings of Jesus followers. Mm -hmm. And I'm using that term because he wouldn't have used the term Christians. Mm -hmm. He was writing to Gentile audiences. In some cases, there were also Jewish people in his congregation. And um, so I had a chance to, to overhear the conversation. That's how I approached it. And, you know, Paul can be really difficult in these letters. I mean, he cares deeply about these people. That's the other thing that struck me, this extraordinary human warmth. He's found something in his life that's incredibly exciting and meaningful for him. He wants other people to know that. And, of course, you know, whenever we meet people who have discovered something that's really exciting and meaningful for them, and they really want us to know it, that could be a little delicate conversation to have. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, I started there. Then I came across uh, a wonderful book called Evolution of the Word by Marcus Borg. 
And uh, sadly, Marcus Borg died a few years ago. He was a remarkable scholar. He came to Round Hill Community Church, actually, for several days at one point, some years ago, and just did these wonderful series of lectures. And people still remember that and were very touched by that. So he did something uh, really wonderful, which is he he presents the, in, in this book, presents this entire, um, the entire New Testament in chronological order. So not the order of the books which they normally appear with the Gospels first and so on through to the book of Revelation, but rather the, the order in which they were actually written. So the first few of those books are Paul's letters. So it was fun to go back to that and read them in that way. So after spending time with those, what, what did you glean as the main message, I suppose? Well, I have to say, first of all, I chastised myself severely for not paying more careful attention to this material over the years. <laughs> so after having gotten that out of the way, however, mm-hmm. um, so here are a few things that I, that I discovered while I was reading Paul. If ever there was a person who was passionate about equality, it was Paul. And that comes across as a surprise. You, yes. <laughs> They should see my face right now. Your face I'm... is uh, one of shock and awe. Shock, I think. Shock, stunned, awe. Yes. That's not your, really what you think about. Yes. If if you if you think about Paul, you're not like that was an equality guy. Doesn't really come across that way, not right? So much. No. There are comments in in again. There are a lot of letters in the New Testament that are attributed to him, which seem to uh, support all kinds of views about women and slaves. Uh, I mean, he, he comes across as being a very hostile, uh, narrow, biased person. And um, he's been judged in that way over the years. Um, Howard Thurman was a great African-American preacher. And I can't remember whether it was his mother or grandmother who told him once that she simply couldn't bear to read anything by St. Paul because of comments that she saw in his letters about slavery and and apparently his support of the institution of slavery. Mm. So I really read these letters very carefully and with a lot of help. So there are a lot of great guides into these letters and uh, discovered his extraordinary desire to be an advocate for women. Hmm. Um, he is uh, he is working and living in a society that has enslavement as part of it. Um, so, but even there, you can see that he has this great passion for freedom. He'll say, "For freedom, Christ has set us free." He spent time in prison with a slave and wound up becoming an advocate for this slave so that his master would release him. Um, so that was. All of this is sort of fascinating information to come mm-hmm. come into contact with, but he um, his his vision of equality is that for people who are living in Christ, there is no hierarchy. There's really a sense in which the world has been flattened out. It's a very egalitarian society, and his references to women and women leaders in his letters are profound. Mm-hmm. So that to me was really heartening to see that. Well, there were a lot of women leaders in the church at that time, weren't there? I think from uh, what we can gather from Paul's letters, the answer is a resounding yes. So in a sense, he's picking up what Jesus started. Yeah. So in those uh, stories about Jesus, you see his interactions with women, his empowerment of women. Women were the first 
preachers of the gospel in terms of, you know, after his resurrection, they were the first ones to communicate that good news. And uh, Paul picks up on that. It's very interesting to read um, at, at the beginnings of his letters, he will often address them to all of the saints in hmm. Philippi or in a certain place. But then at the end of the letters, he, he actually gives a list of names. So he starts off with a generalization, then it becomes more specific in the end. And in those lists of names, there are almost as many mentions of women as there are of men. And um, I think that's pretty powerful considering the Roman world in which he was living. Definitely. And we just observed All Saints Sunday here. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did having Paul in your palm, <laughs> how did that affect, affect your obser- uh, planning for that service? I would say a lot. Um, you know, I've been celebrating All Saints Day and All Saints Sunday for a lot of years. But because of reading his letters this year, it definitely had a different flavor. So again, you know, he writes all these letters to all the saints. I love that phrase. He doesn't say to some of the saints or to the great saints or to the cool saints. It's to all of them in a particular place. So he's he's wrapping together the gracious and the grumblers and the hesitant and the fearful and the eager all together. I think Paul's understanding, and this is part of what we tried to communicate on All Saints Sunday, is that every single person, every single saint, carries a particular vision and message into the world, Mm. that really God has entrusted each person with a particular set of gifts and circumstances and possibilities, and Paul wanted to encourage each of those persons to live that out. All saints. All saints. Never thought of All Saints Sunday as, as all, you know, all the saints, including everybody. That's all really, inclusive. Very uh, radical, yeah. if you will. I would agree. So you've quoted Paul a lot here so far. Did he have particular phrases or, or, or words he would go back to a lot? Well, I've been thinking about uh, two of them in particular because I, I think they're starting to influence my own life. I think it's in almost all of his letters, maybe with one possible exception. He he greets his readers by wishing them grace and peace. Mm. And uh, I'm just thinking about the people who received those letters 2,000 years ago. Paul was off somewhere doing who knows what, but suddenly this letter comes from him. And uh, out of the blue, somebody you know has now brought this these words into the midst of the fellowship. And when the letter gets opened... Uh, or unrolled, or however it's presented, Mm. practically the first words they hear are grace and peace. And in a world as violent and brutal as the Roman world, I have to think that grace and peace must have sounded pretty good. Um, I've been thinking about these words in relationship to these last few weeks. I mean, these have been very, Mm. very hard weeks for our country, for the wider world. Uh, Acts of violence and violent storms have impacted thousands and thousands of lives. And um, to think about the grace and peace that people need in in their lives to do what they need to do. Mm. Uh, You know, often people can survive without an excess. Well, people do survive without excess of material means all the time. But if there's not love and grace and peace, that's a whole different level of impoverishment. I mean, if people know that they're loved, they can often survive a lot of hardship. 
But if you're experiencing hardship and you don't feel love in your life, that's that's really crushing. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was uh, wisdom on his part to start a letter in that way. So I've been thinking about that a lot. The other word that he likes to use, uh, he uses a lot of family language. And I was thinking about that recently because I just happened to hear someone say something that you can hear in churches all the time. This is my church family. Hmm. And we sort of use that as a throwaway line, but for Paul, it wasn't. I mean, when he's using, using family language, he's saying you really belong to uh, this group of people who are as important to you as your own biological family. So you've extended now the number of people who love and care for you as much as your family, maybe in some cases more so. Uh, so that was that's very powerful to see that, hear that. Well, and I imagine, too, that in that era, family meant even more than it does today in sense, terms of protection and, mm-hmm. and your community, I would imagine. I think, uh, you know, although it's interesting, um, I'm, I'm wondering what Paul had in mind when he wrote these letters and his consideration of children in those gatherings, because... Um, I, I would say the most vulnerable population 2,000 years ago would have been children, and uh, especially female children, um, kind of a disposable part of the population in many ways. And so St. Paul writes with this really great tenderness towards these people, and I think he intends for them to show tenderness to the, to the most vulnerable members of these communities, which would have been great news for children, great news for women. And great news for everybody. Um, you know, they found within those communities something they would not have been able to find in the wider Roman culture. You mentioned this idea of grace and peace changing your perspective. Were there any other surprises that came along? Um, there's another. There's another word that he uses, and that's the word participation. Yeah, that's not a really. It's not. It's not like the kind of word you would think about saying, hey, this is my most exciting word in the world, right? No, wow, it's that's, not... Uh... It's great. Paul really used the word participation? How exciting is that? <laughs> wow, <laughs> yeah. I'm ready to go. What a showstopper, right? <laughs> right. Um, but I think what he's saying is something we like to say, right? Faith without works is dead, right? So if you have faith and you have hope and you have love, you want to put them into action. Mm. Well, the way Paul did that was is to call the people in these little communities to be participants, There's no passivity there. It's not possible to be an onlooker or a spectator. In some ways, faith is about figuring out how God wants you to be involved in the world. Mm -hmm. And I order it that way because Paul is very insistent that God calls people together into these communities. We like to think that, you know, we form the community. We create the church. We are in charge of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Paul would just say no, no, no to all of that. Now, maybe we disagree with him on that. But I think his take is, um, you know, we are the ones who have responded to some deep call. And oftentimes when people come to church, I will ask them, so what was it that brought you here? Well, sometimes they'll say a friend invited me or a family member told me about this. But some people will say, I don't actually know. I just sort of felt like I ought to get up this morning and... uh, find my way to worship. And you know what? I found my way to this church, Round Hill Community Church, because I drove by it once. That all sounds pretty vague and mysterious to me, but I think Paul would say there's something spiritual working in there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the way that he describes that. So I would say in answer to your question, that was a little surprising for me to find that, but uh, 
good news in a way because it means that it's a partnership that doesn't fall on all of our shoulders mm -hmm. it's we're bigger than that we're all in this together we're in this together i'll, I'll avoid starting to sing right now all, all so in one tempted. so tempted <laughs> well thanks ed we're all out of time for today we could talk you could talk about paul for hours am i right uh, you know days and days i'm sure <laughs> <laughs> but this has been fun this has been great. Thank you so much. And we'll, we'll uh, see you all next week. Amen. Thanks for listening. Round Hill Radio is brought to you by the members and friends of Round Hill Community Church. You can find more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and roundhillcommunitychurch.org.